What I'd like to talk about uh, tonight over these next little while um, is just uh, being effectively positioned in history. And I'll get, I'll get to the uh, sort of behind the scenes element more towards the end of this message. Uh, I just want to build it uh, first up. And this is just something that we need to understand that we actually have a privilege to hold a position in the history of this world. That God has actually given us that privilege, that gift. And how we engage and how we embrace God's purpose is really our gift back to Him. And so for us to be effectively positioned in life, we must first believe that we are actually meant to be. There's 7 billion plus people on the planet, and I think it's easy to get lost in the idea that we're just one of, you know, millions. But we've got to accept that we are actually meant to be. And it comes a responsibility with that, that we are actually meant to occupy a place and a position in this world. You know, there's a young guy many years ago uh, at Oxford Falls, um, we discovered that uh, he did not know his father because his mother, who was deaf and dumb, she was raped by a person and he was a product of that rape. So there's a big question mark over should he actually be existing? You know, am I meant to be? And Pastor Phil Pringle, because he's a man of God and moves by the Holy Spirit, picked him out of the crowd one Sunday evening and uh, just started to prophesy over this guy, not knowing anything about his history, and said that, God had knew him before the foundations of the earth. And so he started to prophesy about his future and his purpose, and it really validated his existence. And see, the thing is, Rick Warren says it quite well, that there are illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. And you can just look at the lineage, lineage of Jesus, and we can see that uh, there is all sorts of mistakes and Im immorality and all sorts of things that had happened, but the result was Jesus Christ. And so God can work through all the mess that we create and still bring out something perfect and beautiful because it's the God that works all things together for good for those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And so we are meant to be. In Ephesians 1.4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In Psalm 139.16, in your book were written the days that were formed for me and when as yet there was none of them. And so we know by DNA that uh, everything, living thing, has been encoded. And so now scientists call DNA the instruction book of life. Because whatever's been written in the DNA, that's what it is. You could be a tall person because it's in your DNA, beautiful and intimidating when it comes to all men's sign-ups. You could be a shorter person because it's in my DNA. Fortunately, God calls me to Asia, where there are many other people with DNA that causes them to be short. So it all works. Here, I've got someone over here that can relate to me. It's okay. I love the vertically challenged because I'm one of them. But the thing is, it's our DNA. So, But not only has God written the story of our biological uh, existence, He's also written the story of our life. And that life, that life is found in this book. It's in the story of Jesus that we discover our story. And so Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12 too, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So to be effectively positioned, we must be found in His story. Question is, are we in His story or are we in our own story? Are we in a story that someone else has written for us? 
that someone else has spoken into our life and we have submitted to that outcome. The narrative that we need to find ourselves in is the one of Jesus Christ. And if you're not in His story, tonight you can get into that story because that's where you'll find your true story. The next thing is in John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. We are meant to do something. Some people would say that we're human beings, not human doings. And I understand what they're saying, but I don't agree with it. I'll just let that rest. <laughs> because I don't think you're complete without doing something. You know, I know, I, I, get, the, I get the sequence. You've got to be before you do. You know, those that know that their God shall be strong, do great exploits. I get the sequence and the order, but unless we're doing what we're called to do, we're incomplete. And so we are meant to be here, but we're meant to do something. And what, what is being said here is, by this my Father is glorified, you bear much fruit. So fruitfulness is productivity. And a productive life brings glory back to God. And it's not just about sharing the gospel. It's about living in Christ and through your life, let the, cross, the gospel be preached. And whether you're a teacher, whether you're a business person, a doctor, a nurse, a mum at home, it doesn't matter. We can do it all unto God and we can be fruitful in that place. What great fruit we have in, now I've always called you Mick Sabat, Rhonda Sabat, but when I heard Brad on the video, it was Sabat. Something like that, is it? How do you pronounce it? Okay, whatever. Where's Brad? Oh, there you are, Brad. There, look, fruit of the house. Hey, isn't that awesome? Let's give the Lord a hand clap anyway. I didn't know that you played the drums as well, Brad. Are you a musician as well? Sorry. <laughs> You're awesome. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. That's a message version. Everyone's been given something to reveal God. And for us to be effectively positioned, we must be revealing God. Hebrews 1, 3 says, Jesus was the exact representation of God. He then founded a new revelation and that's the church. Now the world will know the Jesus through the church. We are the revelation. We are the living epistles of the message. And when we're living in that place that God has assigned us unto His glory, we find that we start to communicate, not so much with words, but with lifestyle, the gospel message to those around us. In John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And it's the relationships that really manifest the presence of God. It's when people come into this community, into a connect group, where there's relationships in Christ that manifest the presence of God. That's how they will know Jesus Himself. And so it's only through a redeemed community, engaged in His purpose, and in loving relationships with one another that God is revealed on earth. In Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Just two or three, Gather together as my followers, I'm there among them. Because the image of God on earth is a social reality. That's the image of God. It's a community. that We, we were created for community. And so uh, as we realize, this is the words of Stanley Grenz, as we realize that we are created for community, we are in a position to connect Christian belief with Christian living. 
And it's no point just having Christian belief if we're not actually living the message that we believe. And it's through community that message gets assimilated into our life because we're all on this journey of spiritual formation. And so when we engage and dive in and commit ourselves to the community, that's where God can work in our life. But if we're in isolation, we have belief and we may be given to blogging and maybe criticizing because it's, we're on our own. But he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. And so therefore it's through community that we actually develop into the ways of Jesus. What does this look like? In Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And what we see is a commitment here of believers coming together in love, faith, purpose, and encouragement. The word devoted here means to be steadfastly attentive and give unremitting care. Let me say that one more time. Steadfastly attentive and give unremitting care. Now, guys, I would write that down if I was you because your wife has just memorized it. And by tonight, it's gonna be on the fridge reminding you for steadfastly attention and unremitting care. Just giving you a heads up, okay? What it is though, it's not casual. We don't attend a family. I don't just attend my family, I'm committed to my family. And church is the same. It's not about just attending church, but it's being absolutely committed to the church. Is this okay? Am I making some sense here? Or am I just talking to the wall at the back there? 17 minutes, go for it, Jay. To be effectively positioned is within community. There was a lady uh, last week at Warunga. Her name was Edith. She comes from Portugal. She could hardly speak any English. And uh, I got talking to her. She was smiling through the whole service. I was preaching last week. I thought she's really enjoying this message. Then I found out that she couldn't understand English. I thought, no wonder you were enjoying the message. But uh, we got talking at the end through her friend who's a member of the church and was interpreting, you know, doing that sort of conversation. And uh, I said, how was the experience? And she said, it was just great. She just loved it. I said, what was it about the experience? She says, everyone is just so, you know, uh, welcoming and uh, caring and accepting. And then she started to cry. She just broke down and cried. And I said, do you know what's happening right now? And she said, well, I didn't know. I said, God's touching you because you're, what you're discovering, you're discovering Jesus in the community of his believers. Because when they're together and when they're affectionate to one another and accepting one another, the Holy Spirit will manifest. God will commune. I said, would you like to receive Jesus right now? So she received Jesus. So here we have someone that didn't understand the message, but did understand the message. They didn't understand it intellectually but they had an experience and something was manifested that just grabbed her heart. That's the way that it ought to be, church. We don't have to sell Jesus. We do have to obviously declare the gospel, but we don't have to sell it. We just have to be it. And we're gonna find that, you know, as we shift a little bit and we just live it out, we're gonna find that freely we will receive in Jesus' name. Okay, so, um, we are meant to reach the isolated. Jesus places a priority on reaching the isolated. In Luke 15, he explains a shepherd will leave 99 to reach the one. Because the 99 have each other. And so they have community, they have safety, they have connection. But the one that's gone isolated is out of community and has 
no longer got the shepherd in their life. And so he's trying to remind us that we need to focus on the priority of reaching those isolated people because they can't get through life unless they're part of a Christ-centered community. Ultimately, we're gonna miss the mark. And so we also need to go after that isolated. The way that Jesus shepherds is through community. It's not just individually, it's us together. It's not like I can get shepherded just on my own. I have to be part of a community to be effectively shepherded in my life. And so 1 Peter 5, 8 talks about be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so the context of this is about being committed to one another. And so soon as we get isolated, the enemy prowls for that person. Soon as there's a bit of rebellion or pride, or you know, offense that takes us away, the enemy is waiting to pounce on that person. As you can see in some of the documentaries, the gazelle, the zebra, whatever, that gets isolated from the herd, that's the one that the lion goes after. And so this is something that we also understand is that people that are isolated will become very vulnerable to the enemy. The mission of the church is reconciliation. The mission of the enemy is disconnection and to destroy community. To be effectively positioned is reaching the isolated. And in Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine, so shine so there's intention before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, that they may see. So let our light shine so that the men and the people will see the good works that God is doing in us and through us. But the goal is that they glorify God. This is not about humanity just doing great social justice. This is about someone that is living for God in such a way that now actually God is revealed through their life. So I'm gonna explain it this way. I'm just gonna get that uh, banner over there. I've just brought my handheld mirror with me. I just use this in the car when I'm doing the makeup on the way to the office. I like to get a good look at myself. It's actually a little bit heavy. I just wanna explain this, hey, uh, who, who can I get up? Actually, I might get you up, Mick. You, you'll, you'll have a, uh, a good role. Just maybe, yeah, that's about fine there. Just like that. Mick, stand on this side here. You can stand over there, Chris. Just face the, uh, the banner. Face the banner, face the banner, okay. So we have Mick on one side, we have Chris. It is Chris Abbott, isn't it? That's right, that's you, good. We have Chris on the other side. Uh, Chris, can you see Mick? No, now the reason that Chris can't see Mick is because we have a banner in the way. But the thing is, what Chris is representing is the world. Mick is God Almighty. Now we, Mick, we don't want you getting a messianic complex, okay? But the thing is, we sometimes expect the world to behave more godly. And the church can get judged. I'm not saying C3 silver water. No, no, no. But we can be judgmental about the behavior of the world, but they can't see God. There is a veil. They don't know how to behave in a godly way. We do because we've got a glimpse. We've got some insight. If I position this mirror, Chris, can you see Mick? There you go. The mirror represents the church. And so when the church is positioned effectively, then through the church, they can see God. The world can see God. Let your light so shine 
that they may see your good works and glorify God. So we, we are the revelation. Now, we don't want the church like this. Hey, God, come and bless my agenda. Turning our back on really the purpose of God and the will of God. He's our saviour, but not our Lord. We don't want the church over here so deep into the world that they can't see God themselves. And we certainly don't want the church over here where it's just about you and Jesus. We've got to be positioned in a way that God has assigned for us, that we've got eyes on the lost, but we have our eyes on God. We've got our eyes on Jesus. And the way we position ourselves is with our attitude of acceptance. We've got to flood the world with acceptance, otherwise they're not going to respond. If they, don't, if they sort of sense that we're putting condition on their acceptance, they're not going to respond. We've got to make sure that we're positioned in a way that we are devoted to the purpose of God. That we're positioned in a way where we're, we're representing in prayer the world to God, but also we're representing God to the world in His grace and His acceptance and His love in Jesus' name. Okay, could you just, I need to put that in the car for on the way home. Yeah, just as fine. Three things that can disconnect us from community. Thanks for that. Give them a hand clap. Three things that can disconnect us. Pride. Pride will take us out, but humility will keep us in connection. The evidence of humility is submission. You can't say that you're humble in a place of humility unless we're submitting. And that only counts when it's tested. Uh, in 2005, Kerry and myself started an outreach in Hornsby, sort of the area we're in now. And we did that on a monthly basis with the blessing of the leadership as a way to launch connection and start a church. About 12, 14 months into this, the leaders, the powers to be, said that decided that they're not into it at this time and to stop it. What do you mean? And it came across like, hey, we don't think you're ready for this or cut out for this and blah, 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 blah. It most probably wasn't intended that way, but that's the way I perceived it. And it was a very tough moment, to be quite honest, because I was thinking, well, they don't believe in me. And so we've got to make sure that we never elevate our ministry, our call above community. We've got to see the order is, the order is always that if you're going to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, the order is first community. Then it's your ministry. And if we don't get that sequence right, the ministry will take us out. You don't want that to happen. I've seen too many people fail badly. And so anyway, we had to accept the outcome and we had to commit to the community and it took a while to get work through the attitudes you got to really go to work on yourself sometimes I'm not saying that I can't get a bad attitude now but my recovery rates pretty quick uh, to me maturity is about how quickly can you recover I don't expect everyone to always be nice and have a good day because you've got to give permission for people to have a bad day but it's about our recovery rate and so anyway we we carried on, we did whatever we were asked to do. Fast forward 10 years. That's not a long time, is it? Yes! Did I want to do something? Not really. 
But somehow Barunga landed in our lap and we kicked off together with Bankstown, we kicked off the first locations in Sydney. And now we have like 280 members up there. And on a Sunday, I feel like I'm living a dream. It's just awesome. Sometimes that dream becomes a nightmare. No, no, it's all good. But the relationships that's already formed in these last three and a bit years, it's just so precious in that community. There's people that have just come completely from a different religion all the way through to being a lover of Jesus, serving his purpose. And I think, you know, this is awesome. What could have gone wrong at 2005? I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad we actually committed and elevated the community above what I actually felt God was calling us to do. Number two is unforgiveness. Don't try and get from people what only Jesus can provide. Jesus is perfect. I think Chrissy might have alluded to this. Jesus is perfect, but his followers are not. I've asked sometimes in my congregation, there's most probably a few of you I've offended. And if I haven't, stick around because one day it's going to happen. I'm not planning to, I'm not intending to, but it's going to happen at some point. And the thing is, we've got to make sure that we're quick to forgive. It's so much more important. It's like a family, isn't it? You know, like some days your kids offend you, uh, quite a few days. But the thing is, the thing is, you love them because they're meant, you, you're meant to be together. And so we need to make sure that we are forgiving. And that, you know, when we get closer to leadership, we see more of their humanity. When Jesus was in his hometown, he could do no great miracles. People expected furniture, not miracles. They knew him as a carpenter's son. They were offended that now he was a miracle worker. Remember, as you get closer to your leaders, you've got to overlook the humanity and just see that the hand of God is upon them and the call of God is upon them. And the last one is insecurity. We all are insecure at some level. It's just when it gets out of control. When it gets out of control, we will be ruled by what others think. We'll have an unhealthy awareness of what we lack. We stop taking personal responsibility. We become rebellious, defensive, and isolated. I can relate to these. Constantly comparing with others cause a lack of confidence and self-doubt. But insecurity is not the issue. It's what we do with it. Insecurity can be a catalyst to confidence. And we need to be confident if we're going to occupy a great place in the community and be of value to the community, we need to develop confidence. But what I'm talking about is not self-confidence. The Message Bible declares it's the best way. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. And we can be confident in God because number one, our God is always for us. And that's not based on our performance. In Romans 8, 31, 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So we're not living for an acceptance. We're living from acceptance. We're not living for approval. We're living from approval. We are accepted. God is for us. Number two, God will always help us. In Hebrews 13, 5, Part B and 6, 1, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And lastly, number three, our God is still working in us. In Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, 
He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the way that that work happens through our life is staying in the community and so developing relationships horizontally and vertically. So we need to commit ourselves to the connect group, to being part of a volunteer team, to being just diving into that community. And so we force ourselves to turn up. It's something we do to ourselves. And so we stay part of that. But the other part is also that we need to develop that vertical relationship. And what I would suggest is that we need to cultivate a capacity for solitude so that we can find a place where we're getting from God what He can only provide to us. When I was in my early days as a pastor, I was a bit of a mess. I'm sure if they really knew what was happening in my life, they would never have put me on staff. But we have a way of putting around band-aids and a bit of a front, you know, and we just can manage, you know, we can manage ourselves to a degree. But ultimately, God corners us. And uh, I remember going home and feeling just such a need for more affirmation, such a need to have more value placed in my life. And I wasn't getting it from my leaders. Sitting by an Arabian lake, boiling my eyes out, trying to work out how to fix this pain in my life. But God kept bringing me back to the place where He says, only I can be the source of this security in your life. And so it was a journey. I can't say that tonight it's going to be over, but tonight you can get the revelation. Tonight you can be on the first step and you can walk that out, but it can be painful because we've got to get our security from Him. It's, it, you know, it's great to encourage one another, but that can't be the source of our security. And we need encouragement, but we've got to get it from Him, only from Him. And I don't feel like I'm uh, competent to lead a church. I don't feel like I'm adequate to lead. I lead Southeast Asia for C3. I don't feel adequate to do that. And some of you most probably would think, well, you're most probably right in your thoughts, Jake. Just that was a, an attempt at a joke, but it didn't work. So you could laugh anyway, just to make me feel good. But my security is not from you anymore. Okay. <laughs> but the thing is, my sufficiency is from Him. And He has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And so our adequacy must come from Him. Then we become a healthy member of the body of Christ. And I'm encouraging you to go to work behind the scenes on that particular area of your life where you are developing and cultivating a God confidence in your life. It's just that, you know, it's, and I'll finish on this, I've got 42 seconds. I possibly could get just one more minute, couldn't I? Thank you, June. Is, uh, five minutes. Oh, really? Is that okay with you? Would you give me five minutes? Yeah, that's 10, five. That's <laughs> just five minutes, okay. Are you doing okay? Finger, no, keep going, don't, don't stop now. I'll finish with this. It's, uh, you think about uh, the story of Jacob when he came to a place called Peniel. Jacob's a character in the Old Testament. He comes to a place called Peniel and he was going to have an encounter with God there. Um, and so he sent, he had to send all his family, all his possessions up ahead of him. There were some reasons for that, which I won't go into all the details. But basically he was in a place of solitude. He was a place where he was going to be alone God. And so God orchestrated this. He didn't want anything to prop him up. No possessions, no family members, nothing. And sometimes we've got to come to that place where nothing 
should be propping ourselves up, but only holding on to God would be sufficient. And he walked into that place like this, but he walked out of that place like this. It's God touched his hip, and apparently his muscles shrank, that's what the Bible says, and he now walked with a limp. But it's much better, whilst he didn't look physically as strong before the encounter, if you looked at his spiritual man, it was in much better condition. It was a lot healthier. And it's better to have a limp and be spiritually strong than to have all the, you know, the front on the outside and be as mess on the inside. You hear what I'm saying? And so when we, our muscle shrinks, it just, seemed, it just means that there's less of our strength and more of God's power in our life. And so it's in these moments, these moments of being vulnerable, it's when we are actually allowing ourselves to uh, be transparent with people and we expose our weaknesses. That's actually where the power of God will come and move through our life. That's gonna be the area of our ministry. You hear what I'm saying? I'm gonna pray for you right now in the name of Jesus. Why don't we just